absolute agony, like absolute agony, because um, they really needed a fart. And I remember <laughs> he he drove away, and it was like thunder, like absolute thunder. This is I'm so relieved. Welcome to Girls With Goals, I'm Neve Marr and on this week's episode we have two unbelievably inspirational women. So first up we have Maeve Madden. Maeve is an author, a blogger and a model who recently spoke out about suffering from body dysmorphia in her past. To look at her Instagram you would never guess the reason behind why she felt the way she did, so have a listen. I'm joined on the line now by personal trainer, author and model Maeve Madden. Maeve, thank you so much for coming on the show today. No, thanks for having me. So you've spoken to us here at Her.ie before during our fertility month, actually, uh, and you were really open and forthcoming about struggling with polycystic ovary syndrome. So just, we had a huge reaction to that piece that we ran on site. So I suppose for our readers of Her.ie and for our listeners of the show as well, can you give us a little update on your health at the moment and the reaction that you've gotten since sharing your story about PCOS. That's so funny that you said that because I am currently in absolute agony with a, I think it's my period, not quite sure. So I'm actually headed uh, to the doctor this afternoon. Um, I think it's, I think it could be like a ruptured cyst or something like that. And um, I guess it's kind of like one of those things that you're always so aware of what's happening in your like ovary region and that if something's very strange it's like oh you know what I'm just going to go to the doctor it's better to be safe you know it's better to be safe than sorry and um, where my journey started was with something similar that's going on today where I actually had ruptured cysts and um, but I, I left it I was like oh it's just a pain in my side mm. and uh, then I ended up having emergency operations and everything like that. And um, yes, yeah, so that's where, where I currently am. So what was your reaction like then? Because um, obviously you have a massive following on social media and uh, you have a huge support system as well from your followers. So were you nervous about talking about your health issues like this on such an open forum? And what was the reaction like? Um, I definitely wasn't nervous. I think I've always just been very open, especially about... Um, like, you know, about women's health. And I think that maybe, like, growing up, I used to be so shy about it, and I never, ever spoke about it. And because I was, there was that, like, that stigma that you just don't talk about your periods. And then, obviously, I went into all of these issues, and the doctors were like, oh, if you had been more open and spoken about it, but I was so embarrassed. And so I think that's why, for me, it's, I feel it's really important to kind of normalize. And it should be normal. It's normal. It happens to every woman. So it is normal, um, but to normalize talking about it because it is really important that you kind of know what's going on and, you know, if something's wrong that you don't feel shy to go to the doctor or speak to your mom or speak to your friend or, you know, to anybody. And um, on social media, it's like every single day there's, um, you know, there's uh, women DM me talking about COS, especially um, saying that they have the same issues as me. And, you know, through following me, they've realized, um, you know, that they had similar symptoms and now they've gone to the doctor and they've also been diagnosed with PCOS. And, like, I think that's really incredible that so many 
you know, through opening up on social media and talking about the condition that other women are realizing that, you know, there is something wrong and they've been diagnosed as well, which is brilliant. It's funny how you mentioned there about being more open and kind of saying about normalizing it and how crucial that is because on her.ie this month, we did have Fertility Month and this month we're doing On the Rag. So we're talking about periods constantly this month, which is a great thing, obviously. Okay. Yeah, no, it's brilliant. And we're getting great reaction from it as well. In terms of your own story and, and kind of you said there that when you were younger going to the doctor, that's something that I found a lot of women do struggle with. Like even a few of my friends, you know, who, who have maybe struggled to get the gynecological needs that they need in Ireland. Um, did you feel like there was something wrong and did you just persevere? Because like sometimes you go to the GP and your GP will just say, well, you know, you've got period cramps and that's kind of it. But did you always sense that there was something a little bit more sinister at play with your own health? Yeah, growing up, I I always had strange periods. Like, I never, I never had my period every single month. And it was always like, oh, you know, you do loads of exercise. Because I was a dancer. Oh, you get clothes and so wrong. And then as I got older, I started getting these oh my god like the worst periods you can imagine they would last like 10 days it wouldn't be every month it would be so heavy like my flow was just awful but I was always just like afraid to because you were like oh I don't really want to talk about like you know the fact that I have to wear a tampon and a pad at the same time because my flow was just so heavy so um it was it was literally because I collapsed and was rushed to hospital and had ruptured cysts and had to have that emergency, you know, an emergency operation. And it was only through that that I realized that, well, not that I realized, I obviously knew there was something wrong, but it was through that that I, you know, that I got answers. And I wish it hadn't come to that. Like it shouldn't, obviously it should, nobody wants to have an operation on their ovaries. And so, you know, I think it's just like, you know, it's, it's something that I feel like at home in Ireland and especially like the school I went to, it wasn't very, like, you just didn't really talk about it. It was almost like, it felt like it was, like, dirty. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It was like, oh, my God, she has her period. Mm. And then, you you know, you had your pad in the in the inside of your blazer. And it was just like, you know, it was, like, so embarrassing if you, yeah. like, had your period. It's really important to know. Like, and, I, you know, it's awesome that we do have social media now where you can use it for something so positive. Absolutely. I saw as well on your social media, you posted a picture recently where you talked about Slim Jim and the issues that you faced <laughs> yeah. yourself with body dysmorphia only a few years back, only two or three years ago. Um, can you tell yeah, us right. first about, first off, the, the picture itself, I was quite shocked when I saw it. I was really taken aback by the image of it. Um, so I suppose, can you tell us first about what you were going through at that time in your life? life oh it was I think I was I don't know what I think I was in a bit of a I've never actually really spoken about this so this is the first I think I was in a really awful I don't think I know I was in a really horrible relationship and I feel like it was probably through because of that that I was under a lot of and also in in my job as well I was also modeling and so I and then the pressure from work and with the stress of my relationship that I was in for like four years and it was just and it was just funny because I never I never saw myself as being thin or anything like that I was always just like oh I'm really normal and I felt like everybody else was like fatter than me 
And, you know, I was just always at the gym and constantly running, constantly dieting. And, and I think maybe because that was the industry I was in, everybody was really tiny anyway, yeah. that maybe that's why I never really saw. But now when I look back, and obviously I've come such a long way and that relationship is obviously over. And I kind of, and that's where I think a lot of people, when they talk about social media, about how, um, you know, it can have a negative impact on your life, where I feel like social media has had a really positive impact in my life because through social media, I was seeing all these girls who were, you know, who weren't like really tiny and risky. Obviously there are some people on there. Um, but who were like showing these like, you know, they were like lifting weights and being really strong and really fit and really healthy. And I was like, that's what I, you know, that, and they looked so healthy and happy. And I was like, that's what I, I want to be like that. Yeah. Like, and so I used that as a real positive and as kind of like an inspiration to get myself out of, you know, this really dark hole that I was in. And when I look at that photo of that I call Slim Jim, because mm. people would say that, especially at home, people would be like, Oh, you know, you sh- she's just really, she's naturally training. I was like, naturally? I ran 10 kilometers a day Yeah, wow. as a warm-up. I wasn't naturally really tiny. Like, now I'm just naturally my own bigger. That's just, you know, that's just yeah. the way I am. You know, and, and I would wear myself every day. And I'd be like, Higgins, like, you know, half a kilo. I'd be like, oh, my God. my life. It would just be so devastating. Yeah. And I guess it was probably that I didn't have control in any other part of my life, like in my relationship, I was obviously being controlled in, you know, in work, I was doing modeling and everybody's just telling you what to do. And I guess maybe I took this control, you know, off my body in that, in a very negative way. And I suppose that's what I came from. And I never, I never really spoke to anybody about it. Like I didn't go to therapy or anything like that. I just kind of gradually, you know, came out of it. And I think I documented, you know, that's how my social media really began. I was kind of documenting this, like, skinny to strong, and I really enjoyed that. And that's kind of where I've gone from there. I mean, obviously, you posting that picture of you, you said yourself, you don't really recognize yourself. It it is such a stark contrast to, you know, the Maeve Madden that we see today. And you said that social media had a really positive influence on kind of getting yourself to where you are. Do you think that you would have gone to that extreme, though, if you weren't in the public eye in terms of like if you weren't in the industry of modeling, maybe, and, and if you didn't have a presence online? I think it was probably the, I think it was more the industry I was in because then when I was beginning with, I actually ended up losing jobs. Like I had this regular job. It was an e-com job that I did um, every other week. And they actually ended up letting me go because they were like, we don't like uh, how the clothes look on you anymore. And so I was extremely delighted. I was like, oh, thank God. Like, oh, thank God I don't have to, you know, I don't have to do that anymore. And so, yeah, I do feel like there was a lot. And it's funny because I have friends who are still modeling and they've never found that pressure. So I think it affects everybody. You know, it, it does affect everybody differently. Yeah, definitely. I find that pressure with, um, I don't find that pressure with posting on social media at all because I'm very much just myself. And I'm almost like, you know what, like not everybody looks like a Victoria's Secret. Well, <laughs> I don't know. Which no, story nobody. Well. Nobody looks like a Victoria's Secret <laughs> nobody model. Nobody looks like any of them. I'm pretty sure they're nobody aliens. Like yeah. 
Like, even Victoria's Secret models don't. They really get um Instagram page called Slab Face, and they actually show how even Victoria's Secret models Photoshop their bodies. I've seen I've seen that Instagram page. It's actually great because it's not they're not like tearing people down. They're not saying look how terrible these people look. It's actually just yeah, no. this is their normal how they look like a norm. They're not aliens yeah. basically. They do and have it's just bad skin. Like they get the Getty image and then image that the celebrity posted. Yeah. And they do like the tiniest changes. And I'm like, you looked amazing before. You didn't need to do the tiny change. It's just, yeah, it's like absolutely crazy. Yeah. But there are so many positive, um, you know, there are so many positive girls like there that, you know, post all the time, like, you know, what they, you know, what they really look like. And, you know, even simple things like when you sit down, like people aren't absolutely wretched. Obviously, you just kind of have like rows and it's just normal. And I think that's so inspiring. Like some people are like, oh, it's vomit on my feed. But people, you know, I do, I, I find it really inspiring. So I really enjoy following those kind of positive body image cons. Yeah. I mean, and I, I think it's like really important now. Absolutely. I think like, I think you, everybody has to kind of take responsibility for how social media makes them feel in their own lives because it can be a, a toxic arena as well as being incredibly positive as well. I'd say, like, you posting that picture of you um, in comparison to Slim Jim, as we call her, uh, mm -hmm. was obviously, it, it really affected a lot of people and we got massive coverage here in Ireland anyway, just talking about how great it was that you spoke out about it. What would you say yeah. to, to people, men and women, who are maybe struggling with body dysmorphia when they look in the mirror? Because, like, I find it so hard to believe that you looked in the mirror when you were that thin and thought that you... and thought that everybody around you was still, like, thinner than you. But obviously that's what body dysmorphia is. So what would you say to yeah. people who are struggling with that and who maybe aren't feeling that positive at the moment about the way that they look in pictures even or are feeling pressure in social media spheres? I think when it comes to social media, like, don't feel pressure to follow even friends that, you know, that don't make you feel good about yourself. Yeah. Like, I even have some friends that I'm like, I really don't like what you post on social media. And it's like, no offense to you, because I love who you are as a person. Like, I just don't follow you. Yeah. You wouldn't go onto your TV and, you know, pick something on Netflix that's, like, deeply, you know, that's really upsetting or it's going to, like, deeply disturb you. That's like, true. You, would yeah. only, you only pick things that are like, entertaining or you enjoy watching. And so I think that's the aim with social media, like only follow those, you know, and never aspire to be someone else. Like only focus on your own, like your own goals, like set your own goals for yourself. I find that a lot of people just are like, oh, I really want to be that person. I'm like, no, just like be yourself. Just, you know, if you want to improve on things, like set your own goals. Yeah. I, mean, I think when it came to, when it came to the body disorder, I think sometimes I actually think that I still can be like, oh, my God. Like, I actually always think I'm really, really tall. And, like, I'm, like, the same size as people who are, like, six foot. But I'm actually oh, really? not really, like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah I, I have that, too, mate. I think, mate, I think I'm really tall. This uh, basketball player, this NBA, he played in the NBA, and he was, like, seven foot tall. And I never saw the height difference. <laughs> it's like, maybe you are not even up to his chest. I'm like, no, we're like the same height. But so still have slight body dysmorphia. Yeah. Not to joke about uh, body dysmorphia. But I think that like overcoming that was more, I think it was more just getting out of the, 
the situation that I was in and what was making me feel, mm. you know, so bad about myself. So, you know, there's obviously when you have body dysmorphia or if you have like an eating disorder or something, it's not really, it's something you're trying to control something in your life. And so you kind of have to see like, you know, what is it in your life that, you know, that's making you do that to yourself and trying to get away from that. And it did take, like I was in that relationship for four years. So it did take a really long time to get myself out of that. And, um, you know, and then, Obviously, whenever you do get yourself out of the situation, you know, it's kind of like, you know, healing yourself after that. And I suppose it's been three years of like, you know, healing myself and moving on. And just like, for me, it was like, I actually didn't date anyone even. I didn't even go on a single date after that relationship for like 18 months or something. I was like, no. It just showed, obviously, that you needed it. Yeah. We yeah, we are over. I think it was like 16 months, but it was definitely over a year. So it was a year of like, I don't want to see a single man. And I like, I really took that year to just like focus on my work and what I wanted to do. And I think maybe, you know, it's, it was, that, that was kind of how I got over that. I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to focus on myself and you know, what I want to do, what I want to be in life. And then eventually, you know, I just kind of progressed into yeah. who I am now and who most people know and um, away from that. And so I think that was that was very much how I overcame, you know, what I was going through. It's so interesting to hear that because I do think, like, obviously, you know, a single picture and a single snapshot, it's funny when you get one that kind of speaks volumes and that picture that you posted, clearly there were other things going on in your life and it was an incredible thing for you to share and I think it really kind of, I think it hit a nerve with a lot of people that made them kind of look at themselves as well. But you said there about your work and I do want to ask just before I let you go, what's coming up yeah, next yeah. for you? So obviously you're an author as well, Beat the Bloat, um, an amazing book. Rest. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. And I, I love the videos that you do on your Instagram as well, Maeve. There was one that I saw there a while ago and I laughed so much because it was uh, specific <laughs> specific to bloating and then you did say as well that you might want to do it alone because you're going to fart a heap when you do these exercises and I just oh, and it's so true but I just thought I thought Literally, it was I'm brilliant quite the yeah but so it's, refreshing it, it is true yeah it's uh those are but those really do work those are actually in the book that you're blush yeah. um and I think people were like oh but how do you do it and so I, I did a quick demo um, yeah, when I was actually bloated and they do, they do really work, especially, especially after a flight. I always feel I'm always really gassy after I go on a flight. So I will be on my hotel room floor doing these exercises and tooting away. <laughs> and that's something that we need to normalize as well. Absolutely. Every person farts like over 14 times a day. And it's like, Oh my God, you're so disgusting. I'm like, if I hold this in, I'm going to be, I actually had the worst experience. I was dating my current uh, boyfriend and I stayed at his house. He had to leave me home at four in the morning because I was in absolute agony, like absolute agony. 
because um, they really needed a fart. And I remember <laughs> he he drove away, and it was like thunder, like absolute thunder. I was, is, oh, I'm so relieved. That was my, like me and probably the worst thing. Me and my girlfriends should have a different WhatsApp dedicated to in the past <laughs> and in relationships that we've been in when we've spent a weekend with a man and then we leave and we're just like, I mean, we all have to poop, and for some reason we feel like we can't poop around men, and it's just ridiculous. It's so true. It's just, it's um, You're like, I just need to go to the lobby for something. I'll be back in five minutes. And they're like, why are you going to the lobby? Just, just gotta go. Leave me alone. Don't ask any questions. Um, just like explosion. <laughs> Women queuing to poo in the toilet in the hotel. I love that you normalize it. I love that you talk about things like this. So um, is there going to be another book down the line? Or what's, what's coming up next for um, you in your career? I'm not sure. I don't think I'm, I, I don't know about it. I would love to do another book. So you never, we, you never actually know. I'm actually working um, at the moment with um, this fabulous girl called Claire Goodwin and she's a functional medicine practitioner um, and she specializes in PCOS. So we're thinking about um, doing a guide together that I think I might release in around April time. So it's all to do with, um, you know, because mostly like when you go to the doctor they're like oh you have PCOS yeah and, I, and you're like okay what do I do and they probably offer you some kind of pill to go on and then that's it and that's just kind of like you know putting a sock in a, a plug hole mm. and just like to stop a flood and you don't realize that like once you stop taking the pill like everything will just you know overflow again and you'll just become flooded that's kind of my way <laughs> Explaining what the pill kind you know, of does. Yeah, I get um, it. For, for PCOS, you know, it doesn't actually fix anything. And so um, I've, I've worked with Claire many times before, and um, she very much talks about. Um, so, yeah, so what I was saying is that when you go to the doctor, you don't actually kind of know how to move forward in your life. And so we were thinking of creating a guide to. Um, you know, into like what to eat and how to exercise. And, you know, if you have PCOS, you shouldn't even, you shouldn't be doing things like hit training or, right. you know, sprinting or like, you know, going for a really long runs. So like that's like, that's all really bad for the body. Yeah. So we kind of just want to break it down into like a simpler form and just kind of like a simple guide on what, on how you should live your life if you have PCOS. Amazing. Because you can reverse it. Yeah. So that's and people thing, don't, yeah. I don't think people realize that you can, you know, you can reverse it, which is great. So we're working on that and then the clothing brand. So we're working on um, the clothing brand. I spoke about that the last time oh, I was yes. home. And so, yeah, I, th I think May, maybe? May, April, May, that might be coming out. Oh. So that's really exciting. We've been working on that for about a year. High-waisted pants. That's all I want that I can squat in. I was right. like, I need some good that don't cost me like 120 euro. Just like nice high-waisted, tight-fitting pants. So I'm always looking for them. And I was like, why don't I just make, make my yeah. own? Amazing. Like, yeah, it just makes sense. So, and so yeah, so that's what we're, we're working on. And we'll kind of see how that goes. Well, and then I'm not sure. To, it's like you just never know what comes up. We're going to have to get you into studio when you come back to Ireland anyway so that we can chat in person because it's been a delight speaking to you over the phone. So we're going to have to get oh, you on the so show. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, really yeah, soon. Definitely. Bring some of your pants as well because I want some high-waisted pants too. So. Yeah.
<laughs> I wish it's tight fitting pants. Yeah. I need to come up with a name. That's probably the hardest part. I can't think of a name, so I'll oh, have amazing. to think well, something. The next time we talk, you'll yeah. have a name and it'll all be amazing. So, Maeve Madden, thank you yeah. so much for joining us on the show, and we will talk thank to you, you soon. Thank you. That was Maeve Madden there, so I'm so excited to actually have her in studio soon. She's going to come and she's going to bring me some high-waisted pants and it's going to be amazing. So next up, I was joined by Irish Paralympian Greta Stremakita. She has told me that I'm pronouncing her name moderately okay, so I had a great chat with her. Have a listen. I'm joined now in studio by European gold medalist and Irish Paralympian Greta Stremakita. Greta, you're very welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you so much for having me. Now, how wrong did I get the pronunciation of you your name? You were very close, very close. <laughs> close, but not right. Well, it's okay. Your, it was your first try, so it's actually quite good. So okay, well, don't why worry. don't you say your last name for me so that I can get it right? Stremakita. Stremakita. Yeah. Okay, nailed it. Um, so I want to talk about your successes mm -hmm. and how everything is going with your training, but let's go back a little bit first. So you were born in Lithuania and you are a triplet, isn't that right? Yeah. What's that like? Um... I suppose now it's cool. Yeah. Now it's cool because we're all grown up. We actually have a great relationship and we're always there for each other. You know, when we, I suppose when we were children, it was nice as well like because we always were a very active family. We yeah. always did a lot of things together. And yeah, it's great. Like We kind of like I call ourselves like unique family because there's not many triplets out there. So Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And are you by far the fastest of the three? Well, I don't know. No one put us out there, there to see. Just I say it. Just let well, it out. Well, I hope. Greta. I hope I am. I hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you were born in Lithuania. Obviously, you came to Ireland when you were fifteen. So, what was your childhood like in Lithuania? Well, yeah, it it was like yeah, it was. I suppose I like I I did enjoy it, and I, I always say that like person that I am now it's because of me you know living in Lithuania having that all experience and uh, yeah no I really like I when I look back I suppose that's what it had to be especially for me to coming to Ireland and and living in Lithuania and um, no I, I had I, I, I was I, I don't even know. Like, yeah, I, I had a great childhood. Yeah. I can't complain. Like, I was always treated as anybody else by my family members, by my brother and sister, and I think that 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 was that. When I look now, I think that was the best way to, I suppose, uh, raise a child with visual impairment. Yeah, absolutely. And tell us about um, the condition that you have. It's called retinopathy, so it's vision impairment. But can you just explain a little bit about um, how you got it? So retinopathy is um, when you're, and it was how it all started for me is that uh, I was born prematurely and I was put into incubator. And um, when I was put into incubator, uh, my retina was damaged and uh, that's, that's how it all started. Um, it was... Uh, uh, I don't know. When when I look back, I, I do think that it was a lot of involved with the word Lithuania was destiny. We didn't have uh, technology. It was very close state because of the Soviet Union, because we're so it was only four, three or four years when we were out of the Soviet Union. I think we're very we're very close state, and we couldn't really leave anywhere. There was no entering of new technology, new developments in the state, and. Um, 
yes, and and uh, the incubator probably wasn't as good as they are now, and the damaged my retina. And then I had a few surgeries in Lithuania, and then I had another, I suppose, the surgery that was successful for me it was experimental surgery in, in Sweden. And this was the one I saw in a snippet of the documentary Greta, which <laughs> amazing that you have your own documentary. We'll talk about that a little <laughs> bit later. Um, but I saw in it a snippet um, where your mother was saying that you know, the doctors in Lithuania were saying that you're going to be completely blind for the rest of your life and there's nothing that could be done. And your parents went, no. And they kind of just looked to maybe see if there was any experimental treatment. So they didn't take no for an answer, basically. Yes, I suppose, yeah, the the first, um, I suppose, phrase that my parents got from the doctors, like, you you know, you're not a first family that has a visually impaired, blind child, basically. Yeah. So we just deal with it. And my parents didn't, and I'm happy. I'm always going to be very grateful that they didn't. They never gave up. Um, you know, it was very hard for me to get to, to Sweden. Like, the doctors, there, there, there was a Lithuanian well-known uh, eye doctor that... She didn't want to let me go, and I needed permission from her to go, mm. to leave Lithuania. Uh, so she didn't want to go to give me a permission, because that would mean that she accepts that she can't do right. it for me, as in Sweden would. And it was experimental surgery, so she was like, uh, I suppose, saying to my parents, there's no point going, there's nothing that you can do for her. But yeah. my parents didn't give up. They went to her, they asked for permission. Uh, then there was another issue of money-wise because my family, we were a triplet. Uh, yeah. my, my parents were so young, they were like, you know, with the new, new, new wards and, uh, and just starting life, uh, you know, it was hard. They needed to raise money. It was complicated to do that, but they went. My dad went to all instances to get it, and we were so lucky that we did. And, and then my, myself and my mom, they, they brought me to Sweden. And Incredible. And then with that surgery, you got a partial sight back in your left eye, isn't that yeah. right? Yeah. Incredible. Um, let's talk about your sport. So when was it when you were a child that you realized you could run as fast as fuck, basically? <laughs> well, um, I think, like, I always was sporty. Like, we've always been very active family. Yeah. My, my parents, they love sports. and. But I never thought about it. Like in Lithuania, actually, I, I was very involved in music, and my parents thought I'm going to be a musician or something. So it's funny how the life turns out. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I came to Ireland, and um, uh, I started with the gym because I liked, I wanted to be active and do something. Uh, and it was supposed a part of transition from coming, you know, from Lithuania coming to Ireland, adapting to a new culture and everything. Mm. But after a few years, um, there was a uh, race for school, for my mini school, and my PE teacher came Greta, like, do you want to, because he knew that we are, we are triplets and not in mini school, and they all knew that we're very active, it's like, oh, Greta, would you gonna, gonna give a go, go, a go? And I said, yes, of course, and there was a community uh, race in Santry Morton Stadium, and I showed up and I came second in front of 800 meters, and then my PE teacher came up to me, and he was, Greta, would you like to represent, uh, Ireland the Paralympic Games. But back then, I didn't know what the Paralympic Games were. Okay. So it was, yeah, it was all the new experience and new knowledge that had to be gained. Yeah, and then at the time as well, you didn't have an Irish passport, right? So you got your citizenship in 2015, isn't that right? Uh, yeah. 2015, yeah. yeah. And then, of course, you were able to represent Ireland in Rio. So tell me about what that experience was like. 
Well, it was a tough decision, I have to admit, because uh, for me it meant that I'm going to lose my Lithuanian citizenship. Right, okay, so, yeah. Yeah, it was tough and um, it was a hard decision because I truly love Lithuania. Of course. Uh, but um, I love Ireland as well. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I decided to go for it. and. It was the best decision that I ever made. Amazing. Yeah. And did the rest of your family get Irish citizenship as well? No. No, okay. So that must have been a little bit hard for you as well. But I suppose when you have a love of sport like you did and then representing a country that you're living in, it must you must have felt pretty proud too. Oh, like I was so, I was truly so, so proud because for me it was, you know, a, a Lithuanian girl came from Lithuania, you know, Let's admit it, I was nobody back then. And for me, that uh, our country wants me to represent, that was so much. And I, I just I just couldn't say no. Yeah. And so. what was the training like in the run-up to Rio? Like, what would be a typical day for you when you were training for just this incredible world stage, essentially, where people would be watching you and watching you perform? Well, it's uh, in athletics, it's all about consistency. Mm. It's all about, you know, it's... All the training that you do prior, it's all it's all about the the last few months. It was more about getting quicker, make sure that you're healthy, that you're mentally prepared. That was the key essentials um, prior to prior, like a few months prior to uh, Rio. Uh, but usually it would be training uh, six times a week. Uh, yeah, <laughs> a bit of track work, a uh, few runs, gym sessions. But, uh, you know, all the work has to be done way before that. And then I, I've spoken to some runners before, and we've had, we've had runners on the show as well, um, and they talk about this kind of moment of pain when they're in, like, the dark place, and you just have to kind of push through it. Do you have any techniques? Like, I watched your race when you were in Rio, and congratulations, by the way, you came fourth. Incredible. Thank but, you. I mean... Like, it looked hard. Like, what, do you have any specific techniques that you do in order to just kind of push through? Well, I just said to myself, Greta, this, this, this race comes only once in four years. Mm. Give it all, when I made the finals, like, Greta, run it smart, but give it your all. And it's like, it's actually, it's weird the way, I, I, I don't remember the whole race. I remember the snaps of it. Uh, but I remember saying to myself, girl, I just go, go. You, you might not get this another chance to do it. So that's what I did. <laughs> Amazing. I think it's so interesting how some athletes don't remember like pinnacle points because they're, it's just that level of concentration, I think, that makes you black out and forget. Yeah, it's it's adrenaline. Yeah. It's knowing that this is it. Like this yeah. is the the highest where you can be. So you have to give it your give it your all. So how important has sport been to you throughout your life? Uh, I think sport. Yeah, I think sport. It in general, sport makes me happy. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it gives uh, a lot of confidence. It gives, uh, I don't know, you, you feel stronger mm. for me. So um, I don't know, it just even though I'm not that long in sport, but it just feels like forever for me. And I don't remember living without it now. So, so you have a documentary that's being made about you. So tell me first off, how incredible that feels to have a documentary being made about you, and then how did it all come about? 
I don't know. It just it's very weird. I think it's just you know people people always like ask what is the unique thing about you, and I always kind of forget about it. Like, but it was brilliant experience though. I learned so much, and the guys that we were filming here was absolutely amazing. So, yeah, it's it's. It's, I don't know, it's very unusual, <laughs> it's very unusual. Did it feel weird when people were following you, like to training and all that kind of, did yeah. you feel kind oh, of I like was... a Kardashian or? No, I was just constantly <laughs> smiling. <laughs> it's like, well, you shouldn't smile, you shouldn't work hard here, training time. Yeah. Like, it was very weird, but then it's actually like, it's weird where you get, you get used to it. Like, and I'm very happy that it's a very interesting and very unique experience. So, um, no, no, I, I like at the start it was very weird, but then it's kind of started enjoying it, though. Yeah. And I suppose the reason as well why you're doing something like this is to kind of show more people who perhaps have disability that they are able to reach this crazy level of height when it comes to sport. I mean, is that what you want to do? Do you want to, like, let maybe little girls and little boys know that they can get involved and they can do incredible things in their sports? Absolutely. It's yeah. all about, for me, I think there's no limits and it's not even for people. Of course, it's people, let's say, small boys and girls with disability that they're thinking what I'm what going to do with my life. But it's as well as for people to introduce with the sport, tell them what the Paralympics is all about. And I think that was, an, you know, a goal to send that message, you know. And so you've obviously you ran in one Paralympics, Paralympics rather, and you said that Hong Kong is kind of there as well as the goal for the next one. What did you learn about your experience in Rio and what will you take with you into the next Paralympic Games? That's what it is. I think it... It was my first Paralympic Games, and it's more things that you learn as an athlete. How it's more how the uh, championship race goes, how go through the heats, how to concentrate, how to um, get yourself ready to go. I think that is very important things that I learned for myself. Uh, I suppose mentally to deal with the pressure that you get. Um, you know, from people, expectations, and that you need to concentrate on yourself and just do it. I saw that um, as well in the snippet that I watched of the documentary, Greta, um, <laughs> your mother saying that the next time she watches you on a big stage like that, she'll need some anxiety tablets. Yeah. So how supportive are your Obviously, they're ridiculously supportive, yeah. but they don't like to watch you race that much because I remember I used to play sport, used to, a long time ago, and my parents, the anxiety that they have watching a child play sport, I think, is just through the roof. Well, yeah, my mom... My mom, she's, yeah, she's, it's hard for her. She's very all over the place. She, she can't concentrate. She gets very nervous. Yeah. When she watches my dad, I have to admit, like, he can't watch, like, it was, he couldn't watch European championships. Really? So is he, like, watching, like, through his, or is he just not watching? I think watching he just her? left the room. I wasn't there, but that's what my sister was saying. And, he, and then he was, yeah, I think he just couldn't, and, uh, uh, I think, yeah, he's a bit sweet like that, that he's like, I, and I asked him why. It's like, I just want to see my, my daughter in pain. Yeah, and it's it, nerve-wracking. Yeah, and as well as for me to do well as well, it's a lot of pressure on myself and my dad. Like, we have a, like, very, very close relationship. So I think for him, it's just a bit too hard. But it's okay. I yeah. said, that it's, it's, it's okay. I don't mind it. And also, you are in DCU, and I know that they have an incredible sports program there. I went to DCU myself as well. So what's that like, being an athlete as well as kind of 
juggling getting a degree because you're a business student, right? Yes, I'm doing my business management, master's in business management. Oh, master's, no problem. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> ridiculous. Well, uh, you see, I love DCU. It's my fifth year. I did my uh, undergrad international relations. It was a three-year course and it's like, it's not, not a time to, to leave. <laughs> I need to stay. So I decided to stay for a few more years. And it's amazing. I love DCU. The girls that I get to train with are absolutely amazing. And I always think that even though athletics and individual sport, you can you can't do it alone. And I am so happy that and so lucky to be around such amazing group of people in general, not even as in, in DCU, of course, DCU, I love DCU, but in general, I'm, I'm very, very lucky. Because it's interesting, like, when you're running a race here in Ireland, you're probably competing frequently against people who are then on your team when you go and represent Ireland. So that must be a nice element to it as well, especially when you are so, like, especially if it's an individual sport and you don't always get to be on a team. Yeah, no, that's what it is. And and we train together, we share, you know, our wins and, and, you know, the bad days. And I think that is very important. And, and yeah, like, I'm, I am very lucky to have the girls there. They're brilliant. Not, not them, but the girls. The boys are great as well. The boys are great as well. <laughs> but, but you also want to beat them as well. Yeah, but um, just, you know, because I'm just, we, we go to the races abroad together and all that kind of stuff. So I think it's, it's very important to have a great training uh, group. You. So you're getting your master's. So what's going to happen after college then? Is it is it going to be a career in sport? How do you see your future? Well, that's a very good question because um, I don't know yet. <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> I was like, <laughs> Just get a few more gold medals uh, yeah, and see how you go. Well, you see, first of all, I think that I, I, I'm trying to... St I, I'm the kind of person that always likes to have a plan B. Okay. At this stage, it doesn't really happen yet. Like, I'm thinking about it, but then at the same time, I don't want to overthink it because I still have my master's to finish. Right. So I want to take it step by step. I finish my master's and then I would have a few months to figure out what I'm going to do. Incredible. Well, yeah, don't answer now today just because I asked you that question. <laughs> Greta, thank you so much for coming in and I can't wait to see what you do in the future. Thank you so much. That's it for this week. Thank you so much to my two guests. Thank you to Maeve and thank you to Greta as well. Don't forget to like and to subscribe and leave a comment. Tell us whether you like us or whether you hate us on all of the podcast apps. And we will chat to you next week.